You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Hey, take your Bibles, if you will, and open up to the book of Psalms. We're still in the Psalm, Psalm 32. If you don't have a Bible with you, our wonderful ushers, I have some Bibles in their hand. They're walking down the aisle in just a moment. And uh, just wave at them, and they'll be happy to give you a loaner that is a loaner, so you can leave it at your seat. And But if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to put a brand new one in your hand. Um, just go to the information desk afterwards and say, hey, you know, I don't own a Bible, and I'd love to have one. Obviously, don't get it for someone else, just for you. That'd be great. <clears throat> Take out out of your worship folder. Uh, Mark talked to you about this card in there. And uh, even if you don't have a concern, you can fill out a prayer request me on behalf of somebody else. That's fine. Just put it in there, and, and uh, the offering's taken, but you can hand it to one of us or an usher in that. But take out the, the um, outline that's there. Uh, there's some blanks to fill in. The answers are going to be on the screen. And I also encourage you to pick up uh, back at the uh, uh, Life Group desk, which uh, Mark mentioned. Uh, <clears throat> there are some study guides to that, uh, to this, this Sunday's uh, sermon. And the answers to all these blanks and some of the extra verses are ri- listed on there. But uh, on there is the study guide that we do for a lot of our life groups. Go through that study guide. And if you'd like to pick it up, it's for personal Bible study as well. Or if your life group grows through that, you're going to want to pick up one of those. And if you aren't in a life group, <clears throat> we do want to encourage you one, especially as the campaign uh, comes closer in the next couple of weeks, uh, because that's where really a lot of the uh, talking out, the things that we talk about on Sunday morning come about. And so I encourage you, even if it's just for six weeks, just to pull into those life groups and, and have a great time with that. And and if you'd like to try one out, there's one that meets Tuesday, almost every Tuesday here at 7 o'clock. It'll be this week. So too, it's one I help lead. And we have a great time. and love to invite you to that. You can come check us out and see if you like the small groups, life groups that we do. So I encourage you with that. <clears throat> um, you know, I have, a, I have a confession to make this morning. I am a thief. Well, a reformed thief. Well, I guess I, could, I stole my wife's heart so I could be that kind of a thief. But, uh, um, but back in grade school, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I need that forgiveness. Uh, but back in high, uh, grade school, my pack of friends decided to pull off a heist. It was the local Skunkies Market in Utah. And uh, um, we went in, uh, we were supposedly to slyly get the goods and then meet back at the fort. Well, feeling all pumped out about pulling off this diabolical caper, I could not decide what to take. My friends, I saw them stuffing their pockets with candy and toys and all kinds of stuff like that, and I just couldn't quite figure it out. Well, it was time, it was running out, and so I grabbed that, my item, and I fled the scene. Victory! <laughs> I didn't get caught! I was a, kind of a thrill there for a moment, and the guys, uh, we showed up, and, and they, they were all talking about their haul, you know, showing all the different things, but I kept mine to myself. Uh, I didn't share it with the guys. I, well, eventually I, I got home, and um, the thrill of robbery had worn off, and actually I felt awful, um, even a bit sick, and, and just miserable. My all-knowing mom (laughs) took one look at me and said, Mike? No, she didn't say Mike. She said, Michael? And then I looked at her and she goes, Michael Bruce McKay, what did you do? And I'm going, in my mind, I'm going, how does she know? What does she know? What's happening? And and the thought of, 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 
telling uh, another offense of lying to her just was too much to take. And so I spilled the beans. I told her all about the plot and I confessed the whole thing to her. And I felt it felt so good coming out. Oh, I just felt such a relief. But then I knew the worst was yet to come. The punishment. I figured maybe solitary confinement, uh, hard labor, and for sure torture somewhere along the line. But my mom had the most heinous torture uh, punishment for me ever. She grabbed my hand and she marched me down to Skunky's Market. And she called the manager up and she kind of thrust me out in front of her and said, tell him. I just broke, I'm miserably crying. I, you know, sobbingly apologized for coming into the store, for taking the stuff. And so the manager, you know, he was, he was stern, but little kind in his eyes. And he said, so what did you take? So I reached into my pocket and pulled out a mousetrap. <laughs> we had tons of these at home. I don't know why I took a mousetrap. I, I can't even be a good robber. <laughs> but I got to tell you something. I felt free after that. He took it back and said, young man, never steal again. And believe me, I have not, except in my wife's heart, like I said. Uh, but it felt so good to confess that, to... Ah, to breathe that and to feel the weight of that on me off. You know, we as uh, creatures created by God have been given a purpose and a plan in life. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God has plans for us. He, we're created and, and our days are numbered, as Psalm 139 says, and we're made with a purpose and a plan in mind. And yet we are being constantly enticed to do wrong, to take another road, Another road away from God's plan and God's path, God's will and God's way. Now, yes, God's way is narrow. It's narrow because it requires sacrifice and surrender to us. Yet it is an amazing life God has for us. John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to its full. Have it abundantly, a thriving life Jesus came to give us. Philippians 4, 19, it says that that all of our needs are met in Christ Jesus. Maybe not all of our wants, but certainly all of our needs, our basic needs are met. And 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says that our sufficiency is found in Christ. Uh, We don't need to worry about gathering things in the world. Our sufficiency is found in Him. We don't earn it. It has been given to us as we believe in Christ as our Savior understanding that we're sinful and need a Savior, and it's Jesus and living life His way. And we have the choice. The choice to follow God's way or to go our own way by buying into the deception that we know what's best. Uh, it's like Adam and Eve, the, our, our first parents. Uh, they were there, as the Genesis talks about, in the garden, God created man out of the dust of the ground. Guys were just dirt. Woman, he fashioned, that word fashioned in Hebrew is like a a jeweler uh, delicately fashioning a piece of of ornate uh, jewelry. 
And so, so God created these two beings and breathed life into them and, and put them in this incredible garden and says, enjoy life. Except for this one tree, don't eat of that tree. All the rest are free. Just go ahead, whatever you want to do, just not that one. And God giving us a free will and also the enticement of the serpent, you know what happened. You've read Genesis 3. <laughs> or if you haven't, I would encourage you to study it this week. Eve, through the serpent's enticing, saw that the fruit was good and she got her husband and she ate, he ate, and they sinned. They decided that God's way was not the best way, that their way they thought was the best way, and so they chose willfully on their own. They chose. And that's when it all started. And that whole, uh, they felt awful. Their sin was exposed from God. But they didn't confess right away. The first thing they did was hide. And then they blamed. Adam blamed God and Eve. Eve blamed the serpent and that whole blame cycle went on. And I encourage you, like I said, to study Genesis 3, verses 1 to 13 and, and see and notice how we get caught up in that blame cycle, that cycle that says it's not my fault. See, the reality is we all mess up. We've been, because of Adam and Eve, we have this now sin nature that, that rides with us with a constant bent to do wrong, to, to not go God's way. And so we all mess up. Not a single one of us except Jesus is perfect. And so we have this tendency, this bent to mess up, and we do. But the problem is we dread admitting, revealing, confessing our shortcoming. We think it will be worse. And so we try to cover it up or ignore it. But, it, but it, that chains us down. And that has a lasting negative impact on our life. So how do we get to that point? How do we get back on track? For the longer we stay away, the worse we feel because we are out of sync and we miss out of the benefits of that right relationship with God. Sin is a nasty, corrosive stuff. Sure, it's, it's, it's sugar-coated at times, but it will come around to bite us at some point. That affair seems so alluring. That time getting high seems so great. That those times sleeping around seemed just what we needed. Viewing that pornography seemed more compelling than not. That lie, that cheating, stealing, gossip, grab for power, arrogance, self-righteousness, and that boastful pride of life. Or thinking we really don't mess up at all. They're all alluring and enticing and we are easy to allow ourselves to get caught up in them because that's the current of the world. And to confess, to admit wrong, to repent, to call, to call it out, to shift from trusting the sin to trusting God is like walking against the crowd, running up the down escalator or trying to get out past the breakers. See, we get fooled, we get tricked, we get hoodwinked and duped to think that God's will and way are not all that great and even bad. And yet Jesus has said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, that's my way of life, Jesus says. Take my way of life upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my way of life, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying his way is the right way. His way is a way that you will be sufficient, that you will have that, those needs met and you will thrive as you int- God intended you to do. Jesus is that door of abundance as John 9, 10, 11 say. Jesus is the good shepherd as John 11 through 15, 9, 9, 11 through 15 says, who guides and cares and leads and protects. And in John six thirty five, Jesus is the, the bread of life who satisfies what we we really hungry for, we hunger for. So when we get conned into thinking another path, another affection is what brings what we need in life, we sin. The word sin means missing the mark. We miss God's mark. We say, I, I don't want your way, God. I want my way. Now, when we come to faith in Christ, which most of you have, and, and I encourage those of you who are seeking, continue to seek, and if we can help, ask. But those who have come to Christ, God's given you his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit convicts us. It's that good guilt to get us back on track, to get us back to Jesus. It's, it's like the story of the, of the prodigal son in Luke 15. You can write down Luke 15, look it up later. It's towards the end of that chapter. Uh, Jesus gives a parable and he talks about there's a man who had two sons. One of them, the younger one, decided he didn't want to live under his father's house anymore, under his father's rule Uh, He said, I want to go live life myself. So dad, give me my half of inheritance. And he went off and spent it on wine, women, and song. Well, all the money ran out and he ended up by um, eating the food out of pig troughs. And he he started to, it says in in verse 17, that he came to his senses. And that's where God wants us to come. At times he brings that Holy Spirit in our life that we come to our senses and realize that this path going this way against God is not right, but the path going wrong towards God is. And many of you have come to that place where you realize, wow, this way of life is not right. I need to repent, which means turn around, but I need to, to confess this and, and, and confess and repent and move towards God's way. And so if you read the story of the prodigal son, he comes to his father and confesses. He admits that what he's done is wrong. So how do we come back? How do we be like the prodigal that comes back? And how do we confess our sin? Well, King David, who knew what it was like to sin and come back to God many times, wrote a pattern of prayer of confession in Psalm 32, revealing not only how, but what we can hope to experience when we wrestle with God in prayers of confession. So we're going to look this morning very quickly at four actions and experiences as you wrestle with prayers of confession. So before we launch into this, why don't you stand up for a moment and let's pray. You're probably thinking, oh my gosh, what did I get into this morning? <laughs> We're going to talk about confession. Ah, oh, Mike was crazy fun last week. What happened? It's part of our Christian faith, these wrestlings of prayer, of confession. It's an important part of our life because we all mess up. This relates to each one of us. Father, thank you for your word that it does relate to each one of us. And God, this morning, I pray that you would challenge each one of us at a point of need. God, that you would help us with these areas of confession. Some of us hold on and hide our sin for so long, we just get comfortable with it. And then it, it takes a big instance to get back to you. But Lord, may we keep short accounts with you. May we learn from today just how we can confess and, and, and how we should return to you. 
And use this time even to draw us to yourself now, even convicting us of, us of sin now, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat. I encourage you to keep those notes, notes going. And, uh, and we'll go through this this morning as we launch into this uh, four actions and experiences we wrestle with God in prayer. The first action and experience is to admit sin and experience happiness. So open your Bible to Psalm 32 and let me read you the first five verses that are there. This is a psalm written by David. Blessed, verse one, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. And there's an interesting word in there, selah, which means to pause. But it means more to pause and really ponder. These aren't just words, but what do these words mean to me personally? Verse five, I acknowledge my sin to you and I do not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. The word blessed in verse 1 and 2 means literally happy. There's a deep joy and a lightening of the soul when we confess. When we finally exhale with that burden that we've been carrying, that, that wrong that we know that's been there, and, and there's, a, there's a sense of relief and there's a sense of happiness and joy in our heart when we confess. Verse 5 says, I acknowledge. To acknowledge is to admit to recognize, to confess, not to hide or to blame and to say it's not my fault, but to own it. If we're going to confess, we have to be willing to admit our wrongdoing. But oh, how we love to make excuses. When Dan White um, did his heinous crime up in the San Francisco area, murdering Supervisor Harvey Milk and George Moscone, as a trial began to go about, uh, uh, White's attorneys decided to try a different technique in their defense. See, they, they were saying that it wasn't fully uh, Dan White's fault that he went in and purposely murdered these guys. You see, he was on a very healthy diet. And, uh, um, and he switched that diet to a high sugar diet that included... Twinkies. And so because of that, he shouldn't be held responsible for his crime. It was touted from that point on as called the Twinkie defense. And it's been used time and time again. And just like the Twinkie made a comeback, so it is. This is making a comeback again. Our world is um, uh, riddled with people saying, it's not my fault. A coach gets up and just speaks... uh, just perverse things out of his mouth and very trashy things and says, oh, it's not my fault. Uh, A person (laughs) drives into a crowd of people and mows over people and says, it's not my fault. Um, And so easily we move into the blame cycle like Adam and Eve and yet if we want relief, it's found in confession. We have to own it. And what's interesting is this, is that we tend to use Twinkie-type defenses and, 
And, and we feel that if someone wrongs us, then all uh, limits and laws are now no longer available to us and we can do whatever we want because this person wronged us. And let me make sure it's very clear that no sin that somebody else does absolves us of following God's word. Ever. We have to own it. Will you admit it? For confession is agreeing with God that that action is wrong. I was wrong. I lied, cheated, viewed pornography, gossiped, withheld grace, was mean, caused division, chose not to follow God's standards. And just again, because someone wrongs us does not give us license to wrong back. 1 Peter 2, 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among people that are outside the church, uh, that they're non-believers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, your, your life lived right, and glorify God in the day of visitation. The Psalm 32 says, if we confess, there is a, a relief, a joy, even a happiness. For happy are those who sense God's forgiveness. Now, we tend to expect a, a lashing from God or some kind of retribution. But God wants us to feel his grace and his mercy and the freedom from sin through Christ. Jesus already took care of the worst part of sin on the cross. When you sin and you believe, you're not going to hell. God, Jesus took care of that. He paid the ultimate penalty for you when he died on the cross. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And God's desire is great for us to enjoy the freedom of happiness of confession. He not only sent his son Jesus to make it possible, but he gives us his spirit to guide us, as John 16, 13 says, but also to convict us, as John 16, 8 says. And that means that we'll feel guilty when we mess up. That kind of guilt is okay because that kind of guilt gets us back on track when we feel awful for the wrongs that we've done. God's desire is so strong that he will even open up the door to his grace and love and mercy at times through suffering and discipline. Write these verses down and study this later. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 and Hebrews 12, 6 to around verse 13. They talk about how the Lord disciplines whom he loves. That he allows us and even causes sometimes difficult situations to, in life to go through so that we are led back to God. It's kind of like chemotherapy. Any of you have been through cancer or know anybody who have, which is most of you, you know that chemotherapy is awful. It is just a, a, a difficulty beyond measure. But that difficulty brings healing. It's not punishment, but brings us to a point of surrender to the will and way of God. And that's when it gets tough. Because we fight for, and we will fight to the end, that we're not wrong. We want to be in control. We want to be right. Verse five of Psalm 32, but I acknowledged, I confessed, I admitted my sin to you, God, and I did not cover my iniquity. I did not blame, I did not pass blame. I did not think to hide it or to, 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 to excuse it off some other way. I did not cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord 
And you, God, forgave the iniquity of my sin. There's a deep happiness awaiting if you would admit sin. So what do you need to admit to the Lord this morning? Is there something? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it. Let's move on to another action and experience as we wrestle with God in prayer of confession. For we're to repent of sin and experience rescue. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 32. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, God, at a time when you may be found. Surely the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. When we sin, we turn away from God. To confess is more than just being sorry, but owning it. It's saying that I made that wrong choice and then turning from it. That Bible word repent means to to turn around and say, I'm not going to go this way any longer. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go God's way. That's what repent literally means. And we are to repent of our sin. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn around for God's way of life is at hand. Turn back to God's way of life because in that repentance, there is rescue, a hiding place, a place of refuge and escape found from much of the full potential of that sin. Sure, we will face consequences of our sin, no doubt but not near the intensity under the Lord. The biggest rescue is the inner joy of the release of the burden of that sin. Remember verses three and four? For when I kept silent from the sin, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And we know what the draining heat does to us. Some of you like have been just... uh, can't stand the heat any longer. That's what it's like when you harbor sin. So we're to go to God. As we just sang a little while ago, to draw near to Him. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. In other words, confess your sin. Repent. Admit. Repent. Deal with your sin. And the Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. The question is, will you? All it takes is to turn away from sin. That unforgiveness, that pride, that self-focus, that getting drunk or high, that wanting things your way, that moralism that says, I can earn points with God, that entitlement that says, I deserve, or that I am more enlightened than any of the rest of you, or that arrogance or whatever the Holy Spirit is convicting you of, and turn towards God. Don't be silent or do nothing as the influence of that blame cycle constantly pulls us. God does not expect us to be sinless. But when we do mess up, to immediately go to Him. For when we do, that overwhelming flood water of guilt and shame and condemnation will not reach us, as verse 6 says. So what do you need to repent of? Is there something? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. Here's another action and experience as we wrestle with God in prayers of confession. We are to expose sin and experience guidance. Look at verse 8. 
of Psalm 32. I will instruct you. This is uh, um, God talking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God speaks to us and since he has his eyes upon us, yes, watchful, caring eyes, but eyes that know everything because he sees everything. Psalm 139 talks about he knows our thoughts from afar. He understands, he knows, he's all-knowing. So don't go into the blame cycle like and hide like Adam and, and Eve. And don't be stubborn. <laughs> Look at verse 9. Don't be like the horse or the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near. God has given us understanding and a will to accept or reject his presence and guidance. But sin does stand in the way. Let me, let me illustrate this really quickly. Jim, I need you. Can you be God? <laughs> He's been waiting for me to say that for so long. <laughs> okay. Just stand right, stand right there. You be God. Doesn't he look so godly with his mustache? Okay. So I need, I need average human being. Jim, would you be average Christian man? Come up, stand here. Okay, I want you to stand right here. And then I need some sin in the way. Okay, I need some sin in the way. Who's, who's some good sin here? You can be sin for us. You'll be the sin of pride. Just stand right here. Yeah, stand right here, over here. Stand right here. I need some, uh, I need some sin of adultery. Here, come here. <laughs> All right, I need some sin of adultery. You can stand right here. Let's see. Well, I need some sin of materialism. Here we go. Here's some sin of materialism right here. So here is a, a Christian man wanting to get to God and, and we need to expose the sin. And so he's trying to get to God, but yet there is materialism, adultery, and pride right standing between him and God. So what's he supposed to do? He needs to call it out. Hey, you're the sin of materialism. I can't have you in life. That's not what God wants. Get out of here. And so he pulls the, the sin away. Hey, I can't stand adultery. I'm sorry I did that. I, but I, <laughs> and you know what? I'm not going to take pride any longer. You have got to go sit down. And see, so now... God and man can get together. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Thank you guys for being sin for me. Yeah, you can sit down, Jim. <clears throat> now I'm worried about he's going to have a God complex this whole time. <clears throat> but do you see that? It, it's, it's, uh, it's exposing the sin. It's calling it what it is. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them, will obtain mercy. Too much we try to live life with all of these sins and idols blocking our way with God. They're still in our life. God has not left us. They're just the clutter that's in the way. And they stop us from that uh, close, intimate, personal relationship with God. We need to identify them and say, that's in the middle of me and God, and take it out. And then let God guide you. And he will mostly use his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 7, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching to guiding and for reproof and correction, bringing us back saying, this is the standard. This is what you need to follow. You're not measuring up to the standard of God's word, exposing that sin and getting rid of it for proof and for correction, for training in righteousness, the man of God will be competent, equipped for every good work. David, as he wrote this psalm, he wrote another psalm of confession. And just flip over a few pages to Psalm 51. 
And listen to David as he identifies, exposes his sin. Psalm 51, verse 1. This is after David was, uh, um, had been involved in a number of things. Uh, uh, adultery, murder, lying, not holding up to the, the job of the king as God had instructed him to do. Many things David messed up with. He was confronted by the prophet and, and he realized his sin. And this is his confession. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, God, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David is, is confessing, he's, he's exposing his sin before God and identifying that. What issues and sins need to be laid out to God? Is there something? Is the Holy Spirit revealing something to you? One last action and experience as we wrestle with God in prayer, in prayers of confession. We are to stop trusting in sin and experience chesed. That's the word for loving kindness, the Hebrew word chesed. Go back to uh, Psalm 32, now verse uh, 10 and 11. It says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love. And again, that's that word chesed. It's the, it's, it's a word that encompasses all of God's love and just squeeze it into this little word called chesed. It's, the, it's that God's love is kind and gracious and merciful and uh, always there, always present. It's a, it says that his love is, an, is a love that's unconditional. It's not a love in spite of uh, or, or a love that we earn. It's just bestowed on us and given to us freely. All of that's wrapped up into that word loving kindness or the Hebrew word chesed. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart, all you who have confessed your sin. You see, when we decide to go away from God's way, we essentially say to God, I don't want to go your way. I don't think your way's for me. I don't think it's best for me. You, God, holy, creator, all-knowing, sovereign God. Matter of fact, I don't really trust you. I trust myself more, my desires more, and my insights more. Now, you think about that, sovereign, holy, awesome, everything God, who knows everything, and I know more than him. That sounds silly, but we do that in life. We've been talking all this whole series about our calling to love God, to love neighbors, those who are not yet believers, and to, to love each other. And yet sometimes we'll say, I, you know, I don't think I really want to do that. And yet God says, that's what we should do. And we do that with our, our resources, our, our, our money. God says, be generous. And we go, oh, I don't know. Oh man, this is my money. <laughs> uh, we, we do that with, with, with uh, um, relationships. You know, the Bible says for us to live in harmony with one another. And yet we, we just, we're just mean sometimes. 
We're not living harmoniously. We're not forgiving each other. We're not caring for each other. And when we get hurt, instead of going to Christ like the Bible tells us to, to to come to me, are you weary and heavy laden? We just get angry and try to get even. Let's stop trusting in sin and trusting in the Lord and in His way. For when we do, we experience that steadfast chesed love. We're able to connect with God and experience that closeness with Him. What sins have you been trusting in more than God? Is there anything? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. You know, it's time to quit applying the Twinkie defense and slogging around that blame cycle for our inappropriate and sinful behavior. God wants us to experience the relief and release of confession. Will you? Will you, as Psalm 32 says, admit sin and experience happiness, repent of sin and experience rescue, expose sin and experience guidance, stop trusting in sin and experience his loving kindness? Will you? Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads. Father, I know this morning has been <laughs> interesting. Uh, dealing with the subject of sin is, is not all smiles and handshakes and uh, excitement. It's, we're dealing with things internally. And, and Lord, I would ask that you would deal with us internally. Um, it wouldn't be right for me as a pastor to pass up this opportunity and not challenge people to confession. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move people to that. Lord, that you would draw them into that <sighs> relief of letting go of that, those issues, to identifying them, to admitting them, to, to, to repent of them and to stop trusting in them. Lord, help us.